Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your host, Andre Hutchins. Welcome to another episode of the Backseat Directors Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the celebration and discussion of all things movies. Today is episode 108, and I am joined again by my regular co-host, Ryan Nevin. We've got a fun episode ahead for you guys. We're going to discuss, uh, like usual, our recently watched movie list, and we're also going to get into a discussion about uh, returning to the movie theater, since Ryan, uh, where he lives in the UK, his movie theaters is, uh, have opened recently, and so have the movie theaters here uh, in Utah, and so we've both been back to the cinemas, and we just kind of want to share our experience regarding that, and then we will discuss Ryan's favorite movie ever, The Dark Knight, and continue our discussion of the Dark Knight trilogy. So thanks again for joining. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading today's episode. I really appreciate the support that you guys give the Backseat Directors podcast. If you want more Backseat Directors content, just visit us at backseatdirectors.com. If you want to reach out to me and follow me online, I'm mostly active on Twitter. You can find me, my personal account, at AC underscore Hutchins on Twitter. If you want to shoot me an email, that's Andre at backseatdirectors.com, spelled A-N-D-R-E at backseatdirectors.com. Thanks again for joining us. Now let's get on with today's episode. What's up, Ryan? How you doing, man? Hey, dude. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. It's another week. Good. It's another podcast. Oh, listeners, I, I <laughs> dude, the, the coronavirus pandemic has turned the world upside down. It's turned the movie industry upside down, and in many ways, it's turned backseat directors upside down. You know, when you and I started uh, kind of relaunched the podcast and we were doing it together, I was putting these out on Tuesday. Now I'm just, it's basically any Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday during the week, depending on how like schedules going and stuff like that. So listeners, I apologize. Eventually things will get, probably get back to that Tuesday schedule, but here we are. It's Wednesday. We're recording. At least we're getting it done. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, no, it's always, sometimes it's hard to, to, to stay on top of it. Like say things have just been, just been mad myself. I've just gone back to work now as well. So it's, so we record quite late. So it's kind of just like juggling everything around now and just trying to get back into some sort of routine. It's really hard. You've got a dog, right? Yeah, we do. Yeah, you've got a dog. So yeah. like, and obviously they they really thrive off of being in a in a routine, don't they? Yep. They know and they know when they're going for walks and stuff. So it's been a nightmare for our dog. I think she's enjoyed me being around every day, but I think she's getting a bit fed up of expecting to go for walks and <laughs> that not happening. And... Well, what's it like going back to work, man? You've been away for how long now? So I've been off work for three months. Wow. So, yeah. Whoa. That's mad, right? So, but now I'm back, but working from home part-time. So three days a week and then working and working from home. So it it's quite depressing because it's like I've been off doing nothing. Yeah. And now it feels like I'm kind of still off, but now chained to a desk. Does that make sense? It's like, it feels like, it feels a bit depressing if like, because I've been quite enjoying that freedom and it's kind of like i've got that freedom but not where i just yeah i just kind of would like to just go back to the office and just go back to some sort of normality and get into a routine of just waking up getting in my car driving to the office doing there the, the working at home thing like I don't, I don't i don't mind it but every day every week to for an unknown amount of time for me is 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 not not good for my mental state to be honest yeah, undoubtedly, dude. Like the, the, this, the, the entire world, man, is just, it really has been turned upside down and it, it's affected everybody to certain levels and different degrees, but everybody's been affected by this. And, and, uh, yeah, man, I, I, I feel you, dude. We're creatures of habit 
routines are things that we like to settle into. And so when we're out of our routine, life just seems even more chaotic than it, than it already is. So tell me about it. Yeah. But hey, listeners, we've got a great show. Uh, Ryan and I, we're going to go through our recently watch list. We're going to talk about going back to the movie theater since Ryan and I both have, uh, gone back and seen some old movies. Uh, and then we're going to get into a discussion about the dark night. Um, so Ryan, let's go ahead and go through our recently watch list. I'll tell you what I I've seen, um, on my movie list, um, popped on onward a couple weeks ago, just on Disney plus fantastic Pixar movie. Um, it got some criticism earlier when it came out. I think, I, I don't know the Rotten tomato score, but I think it was in the seventies. This is a, it's a fantastic movie. Did you get to see that? No, I've not, I've not watched it yet. Watch um, it, dude. I know you have uh, Disney plus, right? Yeah. 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 yeah we got it now. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. The recent Pixar films I kind of come across like when they're kind of live on TV and then I'll go ahead and, and watch it. Um, but no, I'll, I'll check it out. You've said good things about it. It's good, man. It's really good. I, I, it kind of shot up to one of my favorites on, on the Pixar uh, movie list. Uh, there's a movie that came out, I think, last year. It's called Code 8. It's currently on Netflix in the U.S. I don't know if it's on Netflix in the U.K., um, but it's a kind of a low-budget sci-fi film that if anyone has access to it, it's a movie I recommend seeing. Um, it's kind of a mix of kind of X-Men style where there are humans that are that have special abilities, but they're, they're, uh, um, there's a lot of prejudice towards these people with special abilities. And anyway, I, I don't want to give too much away, but if you have a chance to see it, dude, watch it, Code 8. Uh, honestly, like really impressive. Was not expecting much, but it's pretty good. Um watched a, a, an 80s classic movie with uh, uh, Dan Aykroyd and John Candy called The Great Outdoors. Um, and we watched The Mexican recently with uh, uh, directed by Gore Verbinski, uh, Julia Roberts, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt film. J.K. Simmons. Blank, you went blanking on Brad Pitt, were you? Uh, dude, I was. I really was. <laughs> oh, man, you definitely got to edit that one I know, out. I know. I'm going to be editing all this crap out, man. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, so we watched The Mexican. It's it's uh, one of my wife's favorite movies. It's it's kind of a, a romantic comedy uh, mixed in with some adventure, kind of like, like a crime thriller almost. It's really good. Brad Pitt does a great job in this movie. I I might I might get heavily criticized for this dude, but I'm not that big of a fan of Julia Roberts. I know she she's considered kind of like a like an A-list actress, and I can see you're cringing right now. But <laughs> no, I, I agree. Know, man. No, I there, agree. There's some movies where she I'm just kind of because I think people would disagree. People would disagree with you, but I I agree with you. I've never she didn't she didn't sell that film for me. I think she's I think personally she's lived off of pretty woman and that might be some people that be like no way but i think that film really made her in it and it's keep keeping it quite current because i know a lot of females yeah love that film and that film always feels quite current like it's it's very very popular my girlfriend watches it a lot um it's a classic and i think that she will always be quite current because of that film but and she obviously went on and did erin brockovich didn't she which was yeah she was quite renowned for but other yeah. than that not not to know not for me so i think she i think a lot of it has to do with her pairing with brad pitt and the mexican i i it's just it's not it's not a pairing that i i really um gravitated towards in the movie i just think it's an odd pairing um she's good in those romantic comedies like runaway bride or my best friend's wedding i do enjoy her in those films but 
I'm, I, I don't know, man. She really bugged me in this movie. So that's the Mexican. Um, we watched. Uh, oh, well, I watched a, a Beastie. It's it's a it's called the Beastie Boy Story. It's a Beastie Boys documentary on Apple T uh, Apple TV Plus. Anyone, if you guys have an Apple TV Plus subscription, their content it, it's their original content isn't the greatest. I really enjoyed like uh, the Morning Show. Um, I've tried to watch some other shows that I just really haven't gotten into, but the Beastie Boys documentary that that is an iconic band i don't know what their status is outside of the u.s but within the u.s like bc boys is like it's just they're, they're an iconic 80s and 90s group and so um fantastic documentary definitely recommend seeing that and then uh i watched the 1989 batman movie with michael keaton when's the last time you nice. seen that movie from beginning to end yeah. probably years Yes. Yeah. So same for me. I I probably had not seen that movie since I was a teenager, probably younger. I'm thinking like 12 or 13. A movie that I I grew up on and obsessing over as a kid. I mean, that's really what sparked my my love of, you know, all things comic book, DC, you know, kind of the nerdy geeky stuff, but it was Batman. Even before Ninja Turtles, Batman was like I was obsessed with Batman, and so that 1989 Bat- uh, Michael Keaton Batman movie, um, it, it's very nostalgic for me, but it's been years since I'd seen it. I watched it last week, and I'm telling you, man, I was really, really disappointed at how I felt <laughs> watching the movie. I I wanted this movie to hold up better than it did, and uh, the movie's still going to mean a lot to me. But the watching experience wasn't as good as I was hoping, or at least what I was remembering from, you know, being a kid. Uh, I know Michael Keaton is is well regarded and revered as Batman, and I think he is a good Batman. He's not a good Bruce Wayne, and the way that Bruce Wayne is written, he barely has any lines. And throughout the movie, he he's almost he almost seems like he's sleepwalking. Like you got to watch the movie, man. So I, I want to have this conversation with I you. Just because... always, I always remember there's this one bit in it for me. Because I've watched bits of it. Like, I watch bits of it now and then if I'm, like, having lunch and it's on TV, like, on the movie channel. And I'll, like, throw it on. So I've seen bits of it always recently. Like, I always pop a superhero film on, especially for a film like that. There's always one bit that just always gets me. And I seem to come across it far too often, which leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Is when it's probably near the beginning where the, uh, where the bat signal comes on and it bounces like all the reflect like it bounces the light bounces so that it shines into Wayne Manor and then like and Bruce Wayne while Keaton's just like sat sat he's just sat there like in his chair like doing nothing is this this is the first one right and then no he I think that's Batman of, Returns when the light shines yeah that's Batman and Returns, then he just yeah. like and then he just like yeah. like looks over and I was just like I can't yeah it is Batman Returns when I was just saying it, I'm like no nah, this is Batman Returns but even like the quality of it is kind of similar and it's for me it's that yeah i don't know it's that it's that that cheesy vibe that old films back then like like 80s films especially had which was okay back then it was accepted it was it was the quality it was the standard back then but now it's it's so apparent for me i struggle to see past it if yes. i don't love the film like yourself yeah if i don't have that love for the film I really struggle to see past it, and this is kind of my view with with the Superman films. But I can enjoy it more because I have that right. that love that you talk about and, and can look past it. But 
but taking my love for these films out and look at it as just a, as a movie critic they that that acting quality and and what was okay back then to if it was done now wouldn't be just i struggle to i struggle to look past it and and the batman films are is riddled with stuff like that yeah no i agree man i agree and like i i hate i hate saying this i really do because because the movie really does mean a lot to me like i i do feel like it's still it's still a classic comic book superhero movie and this was the first time batman was on the big screen since um since uh um adam west when uh, and adam west did have a couple batman movies i don't know if those were actually released into theaters though you know and those were just more spin-offs from his tv show but this was like the real first big batman movie and at the t- i mean it, and it was a success it was a box office smash um obviously like they had within that same kind of batman universe they had three more movies after the 1989 batman um and there are a lot of things that the movie does well the score by elfman uh, uh, in spite of what we what Elfman is did with the Justice League score, that score in Batman is very good, and and they continued that theme for Batman even into the animated series. Like that, for me, when I hear that score, it it resonates that this is Batman. That's really well done. The Batmobile is really well done. Any scenes regarding the Batmobile are very cool, um, but. Batman, dude, and Bruce Wayne. My 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 criticism lies more with what they did and how they portrayed Bruce Wayne more so than Batman. But oh, dude, I just I felt disappointed. I really did watching the movie. I felt disappointed. So I'm I'm gonna watch Batman Returns this week. Um, I think more people. I know it has a better score on Rotten Tomatoes than the first Batman, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. So I watched that. I, I obviously um. We talked about Batman Begins last time you and I recorded, but I saw it in theaters last week, and this is the first time I've actually ever seen it in theaters. So I, I was uh, out of the country for two years when this movie released, and I didn't get to see it. So this was an incredible experience. Uh, I love that movie, dude. I love that movie. It's such a great movie. Um, but even better, man. Last night I took my nephews to go see the Lord of the Rings. The Fellowship of the Rings, or of the Ring, um, in theaters. It's back in theaters. The my local movie theaters are showing all three. My nephews had never seen it before. It was an incredible moment, dude. These movies, and we'll talk about it more next time as well because I, uh, I'm gonna take them next week to go see the Two Towers. So we'll, you know, we'll keep going to see all three over the next couple weeks. Um, but. Star Wars has always been the movie that really sparked my my passion for movies, and I think it always will. But when I think of of probably the greatest trilogy and 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 set of movies ever made, it's hard to argue against Lord of the Rings. I I, I just I don't know, man. These movies are so perfect. They really are. I've got a lot more criticism for The Return of the King, but The Fellowship of the Ring and The Two Towers, dude, those are incredible movies. And The Fellowship of the Ring, I'm I'm happy my theater chose to show the extended editions. That's what they're showing in theaters. So we were in the theater for like three hours and 45 minutes yesterday, and it was great. These movies are so good. Oh, man. Yeah, they are. They are. They are absolutely brilliant. They are. Like I say, they definitely, I think, are one of, is the best trilogy, and and there's 
the one thing that I always think about with um, with Lord of the Rings and like how you brought up Star Wars is one thing I'm always jealous about is that I I watched Star Wars on on VHS. I remember owning it on my like my family owned it on VHS. That they were my my experiences with watching those first time and, and growing up and and becoming I've always been a massive Star Wars fan, but that passion kind of being stronger as as I get older and understand it more. I've always had a jealousy for people that that were able to experience those films at that time and experience like the yeah. cliffhangers and the stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, I, I, I don't ever remember really experiencing Star Wars for the first time. I've just always remembered just knowing, loving Star Wars, knowing what happens and just, and just loving it. Like, but not really experiencing and remembering my first ever time of watching it and that impact it had on me and, and the impact that it had on the, on the world as well. I wasn't involved in that. But then I think, but you know what? We were. I was. I was in the the perfect time. I can remember every trip I went to do to go see Lord of the Rings. I can remember the impact it had on the people I was with at school. My family. My brother loved it. His friends. I was so integrated in in all of that, and yeah, and I felt absolutely privileged that I was able to to be a part of these three films being impacting the world because they they were a massive impact on cinema. They unbelievable unbelievable and I, every time i watch them not only do i love the films because they're amazing but it it brings me back to be able to enjoy that that moment in time which was which was unbelievable yeah dude that's well said because my my experience is similar like when you think about you know star wars i i got to see opening night the re-release of the special edition of star wars in 1997 and for me that almost felt like like a first time experience because I was in, I, I was 12, 12 or 13. I was in a crowd that, you know, it was the first time I, I had experienced people clapping in a theater was, was the night that, you know, they re-released star Wars for the special editions. And that was so special, but I, but I'm exactly like you were like, I don't have those experiences or memories on seeing it for the first time. I did grow up with star Wars. Like I always kind of knew that Darth Vader was Luke's dad. So I never had that experience to have that, reveal to be a surprise or anything like that you know but but lord of the rings man lord of the rings came out when i was in high school i saw these movies multiple times you know consecutively in theaters and i just remember just feeling like so emotionally moved by these movies they're so incredible man they really are so those are the movies i've seen um let's go into your list and then we'll talk about kind of our movie theater experience Cool. Yeah, that's a good list, man. Good list, some good films on there. Um, so for me, my list is pretty, um, pretty short in the same grand scheme of things. Um, so to start off, I watched the uh, National Treasure one and two uh, nice. back to back on, nice. one, on one of my days off. Uh, big fan of those films. I've, I do. I think they're the best films ever made. No, but there's something about them that I. I I enjoy. I think they're good adventure films, and they they do exactly what it is that they set out to do. I don't believe they're ever meant to be the best films ever made, and I don't think that that's what they're ever trying to achieve. I just think they're fun Disney films that have got a good adventure, and yeah, I, I really I really enjoy them, and I'm looking forward to the third one that they've recently announced up and, is up and coming. And it's kind of funny, you know, Nicolas Cage gets a lot of flack for being Nic- Nicolas Cage, and kind of like his his acting antics, you know, cause he's, he's just kind of Nicholas cage in whatever movie he's in, but he's, he's, th- there's no one else that could have been in this movie. Like these movies feel like that they are made for Nicholas cage. 
and yeah. Nicolas Cage being in the movie is something that I enjoy. I like seeing Nicolas Cage in these movies. So I'm with you, dude. I, I'm I like these movies. I'm excited for the third one. Yeah, same. They bring back. They've got all the the cast coming back. I don't know whether like Helen Mirren and, and John Voight are coming back, but like I know like the three leads. That's um, cool. Uh, to come back, so that's exciting. And they're also going to they're also doing a spin off TV series as well for Disney Plus. Did you hear about that? Really? No, <laughs> that kind of yeah, sounds fun. But that's though. like, but it's not going to have like Nicolas Cage or anything in. It. I think it's going to be set in the same universe, but it's like, yeah, I don't. I, there's not much about it, but it's not going to have the those actors in it. They're they're being saved for the film, the feature lengths. But yeah, they're going to be doing a spin off TV show. So, I, I, Disney Disney Plus is struggling, right? Disney Plus is struggling with their original content. Without the Mandalorian, there's really not much. There, there's just not much unique appeal outside of just their library of of Disney movies. I mean, I I think my wife and I we've we've kind of um, we've we've kind of browsed a few original shows. Like there's one that's kind of cool called Prop Culture, and they go into you know, kind of like these Disney warehouses and, and talk about, you know, set pieces and props that were used in old movies and like how Disney's kept them. They have like these warehouses full of just old props from old movies. And so stuff like that's kind of cool, but like, but it's nothing that like is going to attract someone to sign up for the service just to watch this show outside of the Mandalorian Disney plus it's, it's not much. It really isn't. No, no, they need to work on that. But, but yeah, so that was, um, Two films, and I really enjoy those. Another film, this one's interesting. I wonder if you've seen this, and I'm going to watch the sequel on Friday, I think, when, when I'm off again. Um, Desperado. Robert Rodriguez is Desperado. I, I've never seen it, man. I've never seen you it. You've not seen it, and no. so you wouldn't have not, you haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Oh, gosh. I'm pretty sure I've never seen that one either. Oh, man, you have to check those films out. They're <laughs> like, they're for me, they're, those two films are like Robert Rodriguez's, like, they're they're his signature films. I know he's got like Sin City and stuff and I think Sin City's more that highlights his, his quality in that but and he's done like some really like silly films like the Spy Kids movies and stuff and he's done like Alita but these two films are his are his baby. Antonio Banderas is quality in them. They're just they just sum up Rodriguez. He makes he makes really mental films. Yeah. But they kind of work and they're funny but they're good and they're exciting. It's just it's just yeah, he's he's a really unique character, and these these films really highlight his his character. Did you see Alita? Alita, Battle yeah, Angel. Yeah, yeah, Alita. Yeah. What what do you think? Alita of that for one? me, I thought it was I thought it was alright. I I don't think I think it was very much. Rodriguez is like it's not really got his his touch on it, which what Rodriguez does, but um, it was okay. It felt very Cameron esque, like very Cameron esque. Yeah. And, and yeah, it was. Oh, I'm I'm gonna have to add these to my watch list. But yeah, dude, I've I've never seen Desperado, and I've never seen uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico. <laughs> you have to check. You have to check them out. Like Rodriguez is like so talented because he like like does like the makes the music for it. Well, he originally he he became famous because um and really big because he made the film called El Mariachi, which essentially Desperado is a sequel to. But El Mariachi is very low budget with no famous actors in or anything like that. Hmm. And that's what made him famous. Like he was really iconic for like sticking um, these like cameras on like wheelchairs and like using that. Like he really like used the environment around him to really get a professional feel with like essentially no budget at all. And that's what kind of um, made his name. And so then he went and made Desperado where he actually got signed by studio and had a big budget and and got Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek and stuff in and, and made a really good film. You should, yeah... 
I'd really, yeah, you should really check it out, mate. I'd really appreciate it if you did, because I think, I think you'd enjoy them. I think they're really, they're, they're really, really enjoyable films. No, I, 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 I absolutely think that this is a movie I'd probably enjoy. I mean, I, I love Antonio Banderas. I, I, I think he's a highly underrated actor. Um, I don't think he gets yeah. enough credit for for his talents. Yeah, check it out. Johnny Depp in Once Upon a Time in Mexico is brilliant cool. as well. Like cool. he's in that, so he's really cool. So yeah, it's cool. Check that out. Um, so watch another film which um, I tweeted about, and you said you haven't seen it. But do you remember me tweeting about tweeting about this one, Training Day? Dude, I know, I know, I man. I because this is, I mean, this is the isn't this the only Oscar in which Denzel Washington has actually won? It was this movie, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. And and written by written by Yeah, I know. Uh, this is why you say your David best friend. Iron Man. <laughs> I've is. never seen it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I've never actually seen this movie. It just just hasn't hasn't happened yet. Oh, I did I I I I didn't like it. Really? I, I, Ooh. No, I I think careful formal's coming after you. I know, right? <laughs> um <laughs> For me, I like you haven't seen it, so I'm gonna spoil it. And I think you should watch it. I just for me, Denzel Washington's character is 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 just really frustratingly annoying and and so over the top. It makes the film feel a bit unrealistic when it's supposed to feel like realistic. Like so, for me, I was I was I was expecting this really awesome performance from him because I've heard like say he's it's award winning performance. His acting in it is always put in like acting montages and stuff you see on YouTube and stuff like. So I was expecting some some like big some big things from it. And to be honest, it was just I, I've I personally feel like I've seen better performances from him uh, hmm. that that have trans like hit me harder. To be honest with this, I just felt a, a level of annoyance with it, and and that's a shame because I, I I'm a big Denzel Washington fan, so it's not even like I don't really like him as an actor. Right, I was right. kind of just really put off by it. Yeah. Um, Ethan Ethan Hawke's kind of a bit of an like kind of this indie actor who's quite respected in the indie world as well, and I felt like he didn't he he f- didn't really fit in for me personally. I did something about it, so it was just all very a very jarring experience for me. So it's it's a shame because I was really looking forward to it because I know that it's quite um, highly regarded. Like you say, Formal is, seems to like it and defended it a bit when we had a conversation. So that is what it is. Yeah, um, I'm adding it to my watch list, so I've got quite a few movies I need to catch up on. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's a shame, but that's that one. Um, and so I've seen. Obviously, you've just said you've been to the theater to see uh, some films, and I too have been had the privilege of one of my the cinema that I go to. My favorite cinema has reopened as well, and um, they're showing some classics. They've got they've got so much stuff going on. I think they've got. Um, interstellar is on there as well which i might go see oh, dude you're so lucky man i mean my the my local theaters they've got some good movies out right now i kind of wish they, they've also elected to play some of the ones that came out earlier this year and i just wish they'd just get rid of those and play movies like interstellar because i would be all over that oh yeah it's a shame they've got they've got um dunkirk interstellar the three batman films um, but no Inception, so I was a bit disappointed with that because I'd have I'd have been in, I'd have be straight there for Inception. But no, I think I'll go see Interstellar next, um, just to go to see that docking scene. The docking scene is one of the greatest scenes I've ever seen, and to go see that in theaters again, yes, please. But um, it's one of my but, favorite Hans Zimmer scores, Interstellar. I I listen to that on a regular basis. Oh, it's so it's so good, isn't yeah. it? 
Oh, it's so good. But we'll uh, have to discuss that when I when I go see that. So, but one film that I did go see, which talking about films that we never got to see in the theater and stuff. So when I saw this, I was straight on it. Was Back to the Future, the first nice. film, the first yeah. one. Saw that in the theater, and how you said about came out with your like grinning ear to ear after you saw Batman Begins. Like, I love the Back to the Future films, and we just again we were talking about how that that old films have that like kind of dated vibe the quality this is one of the things i love about back to the future is that it doesn't have that yeah. in my opinion some actors do some some of the actors do but the leads the leads don't dark marty um biff they just they don't feel dated the acting feels like it could pass today and for me and that is it's such a big selling point for me the, the film is great but for that i just feel like it's like the same with like Terminator Two. It's just those those performances. They, if they were given today, they would pass. The performances in say stuff like Superman Two and One and and the Batman film. If those performances were given, to, they they wouldn't pass. They'd be they'd be laughed out. They'd be laughed out. Yeah, yeah. And that's for me. That's for me. It's really important. So like, formal. We can talk about this another time about <laughs> Superman. I'm sorry, but that's that is just how I. That's just how I feel, and I've always tried to articulate it because we've had conversations about why is it that I feel that Superman is dated, and there's lots of things about it that make it feel a bit dated. But it, it's that it's that acting quality that was allowed to pass back then that just wouldn't pass today. Yeah. And Back to the Future, watching it on the big screen and really, really watching it because that's what's great about watching it on the big screen again is you can. You just absorb things that you don't really absorb when watching on the TV. I don't yeah. know where it is, whether your concentration's higher when you're sat dedicated to that screen or something, but that is what was my conclusion. I could not pick any faults with Marty or Doc's acting. Like, it just none at all. And that's what I love about that that film now, really, is how it's, it's, it's stood the test of time. The visuals aren't the best, but they're certainly not the worst compared to a lot of 80s films that have held up. But overall, the film is just amazing. The score is great. The, the, the premise is fun, is really good. You can pick your gripes with the with the time travel, but in my opinion, time travel is something that that's that's never going to exist. So if you were to always look at it into the level of detail as if it should exist, you're going to find faults. In my in my opinion, <laughs> so to to so for me, I you can have your faults with it, but overall it's a coherent story it, it makes sense and it's it's entertaining and it was a groundbreaking film i, I love it i could talk about it for weeks so just because it's fresh on my mind just because you brought it up with the time travel though what i appreciate about the time travel aspect in back to the future is its simplicity it's very simple to understand yeah if, if something if something is directly uh changed within within marty's life it affects marty right and so I know some of the criticism is, okay, well, when he goes back, everything is exactly the same with Doc that night, you know, what they were doing. Um, but everything has changed with his parents and with Bip's life. But see, but the thing is, the way that I see it is, well, that those are the people that were affected. What what happened is that he gave his dad the courage to stand up to Biff. So whose lives is it change? It's going to change his dad's and it's going to change Biff's. So the, the outside of that, not much is going to be affected, but on the trajectory of their lives, it was affected. And with Marty, obviously, if their parents don't get together, he doesn't exist. And so the fact that he's disappearing in real time as like his parents are like moving further and further away, it just, to me, it makes sense. It just makes perfect sense. But yeah, if you were, if you were to put together a list of, and I don't want to, I feel like I, I overuse this word, but I, I say iconic a lot, but I, 
I feel like there's there's not really other words to help describe uh, the level of impact that Back to the Future has had on on Hollywood. If you were to put together a list of like the most iconic and influential films of the 80s, Back to the Future is going to be easily top five, maybe even top three. Like it, it is, it is that good of a film, and I think it's that that well made of a film. And I I'm with you, man. The movie holds up. It's a great movie, dude. It really does. So that that movie's back in theaters uh, here where I live as well. I I haven't seen it yet, but I I'm I'm planning on going. That's that's awesome. Uh, man. Yeah, you got to man. You, it's just it it's just such a feel good film. Like it it really just it just ticks all the boxes, man. It it's the, it's the the perfect film to see at the cinema, and I'm very jealous of a lot of people that were able to experience it at the time because it's. Yeah, it, it it really is. I I love it. I love it so much. That's cool, dude. That's cool. Well, cool. Th- this this is a good uh, a good segue into our next topic, which is going back to theaters. And this is something that Ryan and I wanted to talk about because uh, there's there's a lot of debate going around regarding whether or not theaters should reopen or if they should remain closed and and whatnot. And um, obviously, where theaters are opening depends greatly on where you live. So here in Utah, theaters have actually been open for over a month already. Uh, the first week of June was when uh, a, kind of the, the bigger theaters opened. On the last week of May, we had some smaller independent theaters that did open. But for the most part, in Utah, where I live, theaters have now been open for over a month. And and I've gone now four times to the theaters in this span. And obviously they're all old movies. I got to see uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, Slumdog Millionaire, Batman Begins, and now uh, The Fellowship of the Rings. And and so I I and since Ryan, since you've gone back to the theater recently, I just kind of wanted to give our experience to our listeners who maybe might be hesitant in going, whether or not they feel safe or or if it's a good environment to go back, you know, and and be in crowds, I guess. But um, I just kind of want to say my my piece, and I'll let you go ahead. But uh, for me, in in my my personal view of of the pandemic, and and I guess the level of 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 um, danger that we are putting ourselves in and going out into public, um, I have my personal views on that, but. Um, in regards to what the theaters are doing to to ensure and maintain the safety of their patrons, I think they're doing they're doing an excellent job. I got to speak personally already with uh, one of the local general managers of of the local theaters here in Utah, and she walked me through every protocol and procedure that they have in place. Um, everything from you know uh, personal protective equipment for their employees. Uh, the types of chemicals they're using to disinfect uh, high contact areas and essentially that the Utah State Health Department and all the regulations that they've given movie theaters that they have to abide by in order to reopen they are not only adhering to all of those mandates but they are going above and beyond and doing even more than what has been required of them and so in regards to whether or not I feel safe yes I feel very safe I feel very safe I feel very comfortable and I have no issue going back to the movie theaters. One of the things, though, I think I wanted to mention as well that I think is important is that there's not many people going anyway. And so this idea of going back into high, um, um, like large crowds, like large, large groups of gatherings and people, that's not the case 
at the movies that I've been going to, or the theaters that I've been going to recently. Like uh, yesterday, The Fellowship of the Ring, uh, it was me and my three nephews and two other people in the entire auditorium. Like it, it, it's just it, there's there's not great risk of being in large crowds. And they're already reducing the capacity of the auditoriums greatly. They're only letting 50 people in in each auditorium. So not 50% capacity, only 50 people. So we're talking like, I guess, 25% capacity. I'm not sure how many people they can fit, but it's a lot more than 50. So that's been my experience. I, I, you know, movie theaters mean a lot to me. I enjoy the movie experience much more at a theater than in my home. So going to the theaters has been awesome, and I've been incredibly grateful that they are open and accessible to me in my area. But Ryan, tell me what your experience has been like. No, it's been it's been very very similar to be honest. I've anyone I've spoke to, I've said really that the cinema I've gone to has probably offered me the most safe ex- experience I've been to anywhere personally. So I'll talk you through kind of a very quick brief of how my cinema um, showcase in Coventry operates. But I, I was super impressed they were only allowing people through the the automated disabled doors so there's no contact of open the doors uh you could only pre-book your tickets and when you pre-book your tickets you also had to pay for your food online so that you would then pick that you would then pick that up um without causing without there being any um unnecessary crowding in the um where you collect your food and stuff it's so it's a very swift process you have to order that all online as well um and you go through with, with your ticket um you show your ticket to the um person that stood by the door but they don't have any contact with you and they ask you to go and scan it over a scanning machine which is on the opposite side of the uh the entrance to the door and you go and, and scan that so there's no contact made there the seating um then as well was is reduced um they were they were doing two sat two off two sat two off two sat two off um, so you could only sit in twos and then you had a space of two in between um, the next two sat next to you. Um, and they also made a point of people coming in to check that that was being maintained. And then also it was very clear that they were coming in and cleaning down the seats after. And you were only allowed to then enter exit through the fire exits out the back of the building instead of going back head on to people entering that their theatre as well. So for me... That is a very swift process. I don't feel like you could go into anywhere. They've just recently opened pubs and restaurants in my um, in my local area, and I've seen pictures and stuff like that. And there ain't nothing like that going on there. That is for me. You ain't get, you're not getting any safer than that. All the staff were wearing all the equipment, gloves, face masks. Like you, for me, that was probably the safest place I could be, other than home personally so a lot of people are worried about going to cinema but for me i've been to supermarkets i've been to lots of places petrol stations like there's nothing going on in the petrol stations like there's no gloves or anything when i'm filling up my car i'm still handling those um nozzles and stuff like that which people are fine with but so for me i would say there's really no problems with going to the cinema especially well at least the, anyone from the uk is listening to this in the, in the showcase cinemas i think is not only is it a safe experience to go see the films. I honestly think it's probably one of the safest places you could be to avoid the coronavirus personally. Yeah, that's really interesting because uh, out out in public, in public areas, the grocery store is 
way more crowded than the movie theater. I mean, I'm coming into contact with way more people just going out and buying groceries than I, you know, am going sitting in a movie theater. And so, um, I guess, you know, for the most part, I think Brian and I just wanted to kind of give you guys our insight and perspective and experience on going back to theaters and just how it was and what we've seen, you know, how the, uh, uh, movie theaters are, are operating and ensuring kind of that, that safety aspect to, to their customers. But I, I think that's awesome, man. And what you described is actually even more than what my movie theater is doing. And so, I mean, I felt great in my movie theater and the, you know, procedures that they've implemented, uh, there and you guys are doing even more. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Big time. I just, you know, I, I really, I really want things to get back on track for the movie theater. Not, not just for us personally, you know, and what it, what it means to backseat directors and the work that we're doing. Um, but just, I, I think, I think there, there is healthy aspect. And I say healthy, I mean, I mean, mentally and emotionally healthy aspect to coming together as people within a community and a society and sharing in similar interests and things that people enjoy. And movies is something that a lot of people enjoy and so coming together in an area that supports those interests and passions, I think is good and healthy for people. And so the fact that movie theaters, which is such a, uh, a common uh, activity within our communities, has been removed for the last number of months, um, I think it's just good that we, we kind of get back to that. So, so I felt safe. Ryan felt safe. Listeners, if you're listening and you know, wondering whether or not the movie theater is a safe place, According to our experience, and I'm not saying that it is uh, just from our own experience, it's been good. It's been good. So um, uh, our next topic um, obviously is a movie that you've recently seen, Ryan, in theaters. And one that I (laughs) I don't know why my my local theaters are not showing the others. They're only showing Batman Begins, which I'm happy I got to see. But I wish they were showing the other two. But your theaters are showing all three and you got to go see your favorite movie of all time. Ryan, I feel like you need to lead this discussion since this is your movie, (laughs) (laughs) but Ryan and I, you know, I mean our our most recent episode that we did together, we talked about Batman begins on its 15 year anniversary. The dark Knight came out in 2008. So we're already 12 years removed from this movie. Um, I just watched it last night recently, just here at home. Um, it had been maybe a year or two since I had last seen the dark Knight, So it was fun seeing it again. And recently since seeing Batman begins. So I'm gonna have to finish my trilogy sometime this week, maybe this weekend, but, uh, Ryan, let's talk about the dark Knight. Let's talk about your passion behind this movie. Obviously in the, the previous episode you and I did, you told our listeners that you weren't that big of a Batman fan until you saw Batman begins. But the Dark Knight for you took it another level. So yeah, man. T- tell us about the Dark Knight, man. Tell us about your experience the first time you saw it. What 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 about the movie just you know made you go wow? Uh, let's let's get into uh, into that uh, discussion. Well, it's interesting actually. You talking about the Batman um, anniversary and say we're coming up twelve years. I think uh, the Dark Knight was released. It'll be coming up to its yearly anniversary very soon. It was July. I'd like, I think, I want to say it was like July, July 18th. 18th. Yeah, we're two days away. Yeah, yep. look at that. Or ten, 10 days, 10 days away. <laughs> yeah, 10 days away. So we, we're, so yeah, so we're not, we're not bang on, but we're there or thereabouts um, coming up to its, to its yearly anniversary. But yeah, uh, yeah, 
like I said, that and that just right there proves my point of how much that film meant to me is because I I didn't even, I tried to just find the exact date online like quickly again I couldn't find it but I knew it was something on those lines and yeah July the eighteenth because that film I remember that the the hype of it it was it was big it was big there was a lot of uh, negative hype people weren't massive on the Heath Ledger casting until that that image of him was released and people were like okay this it looks a little bit like it means business but the casting was uh was was pretty off um originally but then it had like really really positive hype um because obviously it was following a film that was really critically successful and they did some really cool um like easter egg stuff did you ever like do you remember remember any of like the secret stuff that they released no i don't um uh-uh. so like i remember one time i remember, and this was like I, I was like obviously quite young watching this and um got was really excited for this film but I remember my friend sending me this link and it was a, a website that was just like a pizza delivery company. And I was like, I was like, oh, and it was just like a very like, sh- like Chicago town based pizza like company. Um, and uh, which, which is interesting because obviously the Dark Knight set in Chicago, but, right, it, right. but it was like, it was a full, it was a full site. It was a full site, had a menu and everything. And I was just like, why are you sending me this? And he was like, he was like, put your mouse in the, in the bottom right hand corner. And then, like you saw, like the it just like an animation of like the page could like like flick up, and if you clicked that, it revealed like a small section of the film, and like there's loads of stuff like this. And the section that I found, and like you had to find this stuff, like it was like really hard. So it was like to come across this was really cool. And the section I found was was they it wasn't wasn't even a bit that was essentially a, an angle that was in the film. But you know, in the film, Harvey Dent when he comes out of that bar. And then he and then um, Watts says, "I thought you were dead." And then Harvey Dent goes, "Half," doesn't he? He says that, doesn't he? He says, "Only half dead." All right, in the right, dark right. yep, yeah. Uh-huh. So in the film, you, you see Harvey Dent say that, but in this in this video that you saw, you don't see Harvey Dent. All you see is Watts looking at someone and going, "I thought you were dead," and then you hear the reply going, "Only half dead." And that was like, and then everyone just went mental. It's like, oh my god, Harvey Two Face is going to be in it. And that was like, that was like my reveal. I didn't like, I didn't find any news out there. I didn't do anything. Like that was my reveal of knowing that like Two Face was in it. So I was like, I was like, it pumped. I was so pumped, man. Isn't like understand yeah. that is unbelievable. And then, and then seeing, and then so when we went to see when we went to see the film. It was, just, I, I I can't explain to you how much it blew me away. I was just I was. I, Leaving that film, I was already booking my ticket to see it again. That's how much. That's how much I enjoyed it. I've never done that with a film before. I remember going to see it with my brother, and he was actually slightly disappointed with it because he loved Batman Begins, and The Dark Knight is a very different film to Batman Begins. It really is. Bat- it, it really, really, is. So really, quite, really is. He was very kind of disappointed at first because he really, really loves Batman Begins, and I do. But he was like he enjoyed the element of of batman always being in the dark and he he kind of had the point of when like batman stood in that in the middle of that bank vault he's very much it's very opposite to like what he is in batman begins he's always in the shadows in batman begins you rarely see him just stood there in a very well lit area where in the dark night you get a bit you get a bit more of that which takes away that edge that you get in batman begins but for me i just saw it as i just saw it as I did that didn't affect me. I saw it as what the film was meant to be, and it was meant to be very. I remember re- in like reading interviews and Nolan, it was a very heat inspired film, for the, and it was just a like a crime action film, and and that's what I took it for. And it was just it was unbelievable. It was I I 
I could go on forever, so you're gonna have to stop me, Andre. You're gonna have to stop me. What was your first experience like? Can you remember it, and and how did you feel? So I I remember seeing it in theaters with my friends opening night. Um, I was home for the summer, just in between my college uh, winter winter semester and then fall semester. Um, but uh, outside of that, man, I, I honestly, and, and this kind of, it kind of bugs me because my memories on it aren't that clear. I know I saw it opening night and I know which friends I went to go see it with. And I remember liking it, but it wasn't until it came out on Blu-ray that I became much more appreciative and, and, um, just much more of a fan of the movie. Um, and, and so I, I, I don't know. It's just, I know at the time I saw it, I know I liked it and I know I was like, wow, that was a really good movie. Um, and obviously a lot of the news, you know, around Heath Ledger and him passing away and, you know, because he passed away before the debut of the movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He was, yeah, he was lucky. The film was in post-production when he died. Right. And so I think that a lot of that, I remember a lot of that news just kind of surrounding the movie, which kind of created an aura about the movie, you know, almost just like of a mystique of, of, of the movie. I mean, he's playing one of the most iconic villains ever created in Joker. Um, you know, first time we're seeing Joker in a movie since uh, Jack Nicholson in the 1989 Batman movie. Um, you know, and then obviously he passed away and then, you know, the movie comes out. But the, the movie, though, the movie itself has become much more significant and personal to me over the years. And every time that I go back and watch the movie, because it is an incredibly made film. It really is. I think Nolan, Nolan did something that that other maybe comic book movies had not attempted yet, you know, cause, and, and this is where I think the dark Knight trilogy really has influenced cinema specifically for superhero movies is that the, the Nolan films, Nolan attempted to make them grounded and realistic. If you're going to create a Batman character, how would that actually look like and be portrayed in real life? You know, so a lot of that, those fantastical elements of superhero movies, you know, and, and yes, Batman is not a character that has superpowers. I mean, his, powers are his wealth and his intellect um but but these were movies though that that created an atmosphere of in which these superhero movies could really exist in our world and i think that is one of the things that really drew me into these movies is because they felt so real and so authentic and that authenticness is i think what will allow these movies to continue to age beautifully decades after you know they're the, the making of these movies um but but yeah let's let's go back to what you said though about how different these movies are from batman begins to the dark knight because that is something just that's very fresh on my mind uh that i was thinking about last night while i was watching the movie because the 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 tone and even the cin- cinematography is very different i think the cinematography and the even the coloring of batman begins is much darker than um the dark knight but the Dark Knight, in terms of its story, is actually, I think, a, a much darker story than than the actual aesthetic look of the movie. Um, but yeah, they are very different. And Nolan Batman and Gore- Begins has a very like like a like a sepia look yes. to it. Yes, yes, it, it the kinda, Dark Knight it, is very blue. 
Yes, it, it has a like it has a Halloween vibe. In my opinion, it kind of has a Halloween vibe to it, and from the coloring, you know, kind of the yellows and oranges and blacks and browns to yes, kind of the and even in the opening uh, scene, the opening uh, beginning of the movie, um, you know, whereas in Batman Begins, the opening is kind of at dusk. You kind of have that orange glow to the sky and then the bats are coming in and creating the bat symbol logo. But in this one, it's a flame. It's a blue flame that creates the bat symbol logo. And so yes, blue is, is kind of one of the predominant colors in the color palette of, of the dark Knight. And obviously, I mean, that has reference to, to, to Joker and his methods. And I love that. I love that line toward the end of the movie where he's got the stack of money piled high and he's about to light it on fire. And he says, you know what? Uh, you know what? Uh, he's like gasoline, gunpowder, um, all have in common. He's like they're cheap, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you, and when he has that conversation with Harvey, he's like, "Did you ever think that a little that you know that a gun and a little or some bombs could you know do to a city? Like we make it go crazy." Anyway, yeah. um, so those are some of the things that I noticed. But I, the writing is definitely different too, you know. So Christopher Nolan and, and David Goyer wrote the story for the first one but the dark knight is uh christopher nolan and his brother so david goyer is not a part of the writing for the dark knight um so in that field that you you can tell it's different as well um but i like it i like that they're different though it's not it's not more of the same we're still in the nolan batman universe but the differences are palpable enough that you can tell that these are different movies and even the progression of of Bruce Wayne and the Batman character are different. Um, So, um, uh, so let's uh, walk through the movie though. walk through the movie uh, for the listeners and kind of just like from, from the beginning, obviously you have, you have just an incredible opening scene with Joker robbing, you know, all of the, uh, the money from the crime bosses of Gotham city. I mean, just an incredible opening scene. Um, but when you see Joker for the first time, and you don't even see his front, you see the back. I mean, t- what 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 are your thoughts of these opening scenes of The Dark Knight? Oh, it's it's brilliant. I remember really seeing that for the first time, and it and it was a shock. I think I'm not sure if you remember, but they were they were talking about the Joker like he wasn't there. So it's 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 Nolan's genius of that that uh, misdirection that he's really good at that he does a lot like inception like at the end of inception stuff and and throwing people off in a very subtle ways that you don't really notice but they're talking like about the joker like he's not there so in your brain you're thinking he's not there because they're talking like he's not there they like they're all doing a job together you'd think they'd know that he's there and and then he is like and then the reveal it's just that he's got a clown mask and he takes off a clown mask and there's another clown mask underneath it essentially yeah. like <laughs> so he was never really wearing a mask in the first place like unbelievable and then what's even great is then it's like he's put the grenade you like he's put that grenade in your mouth and unless you you know the difference between a freaking grenade it's going to blow a head up or a smoke grenade at that time you think oh he's put a grenade in his head and the smoke comes out and you're like okay so christopher nolan gets the joker already yeah you know what i mean like within first 2 minutes he's completely what he's made a whole team turn against each other to the point where he's just ran away with all the money by himself and he's just like made it look like he's going to blow someone's head off and then even that guy thought his head was going to blow off and turns out it was just a smoke grenade yeah (laughs) one scene joker summed up perfectly 
So you're already onto a winner. You already know, right, Nolan knows exactly what the joke is supposed to be like. Game on. And that that's that's me on the on the intro of itself. Yeah. I, I and so just kind of going back to what you were saying about the Heath Ledger casting uh, as Joker. I do remember a lot of criticism about well, what is Heath Ledger doing as Joker? Like he there's nothing about Heath Ledger that says Joker. You know, and I think which is very different than say Walking Phoenix. I think Walking Phoenix was always was always a shoe in. He, he he and he was someone that a lot of people always envisioned being Joker. And so yes, he, kind of the persona and the aesthetic, uh, you know, just kind of the visual look of Walking Phoenix. I, I just I I always thought like wow, Walking Phoenix would make a great Joker, and he's casted as Joker. Look, he's Joker. But Heath Ledger is so kind of out of the box type uh, casting decision. But uh, the reality is, is he's likely going to go down as the greatest Joker ever, ever, you know, and they didn't have to make a movie about him. You know, they didn't have to dedicate a two hour movie, you know, to Heath Ledger as a Joker. And yet to me, it, the this is Heath Ledger's movie. He stars in this movie. Yes, he has less time on screen than Batman and Bruce Wayne, but joker joke this this he steals the show man he really does and so every time that he is on screen not a second is wasted there's purpose in everything that the joker does everything that he says every uh every intention behind the decisions that he's making it has purpose and so he's never wasted there's not a single wasted second of joker on screen and so yeah so maybe in a two and a half hour movie and he's there for a total i think of 20 some odd minutes it still feels like he is like so present throughout the entire movie, um, which I think is one of the better aspects of of the Dark Knight. Because for a Joker movie, I I still prefer this over Joker from last year, and, and you know I, I just I don't know I I mean what what are your what are your thoughts on that I mean just because we both saw Joker, um, I think we both agreed that it was a very well made film, but for me I mean. This is this you is the really best get Joker, much movie. Joker in Joker. Like you, you get someone who's about to become the person that we know. But you don't, you don't really get the the enjoyable part of the Joker character in Joker for very much. Like, like yeah. the end bit of Joker is brilliant when he's in that um, getting that interview with Robert De Niro. You you get like a minute, two minutes of actual Joker and Joaquin Phoenix knock that bit out of the park. It was so good, like that bit. But that is all you get. Well, even the Dark Knight, you get you get the Joker character, so it's going to be more of an enjoyable Joker film, in my in my opinion. It's not about quality; it's just you you get what what the character is, and and he's probably the most famous villain in the world. So yeah, for me, yeah. it's like that. But on the other side, though, is Batman makes the Joker, and Joker makes Batman. So for me, like one about the other, you're you're going to kind of be on a not a losing thing a street because obviously they do well with the Joker film, but Batman makes the contrast between them both and how they their relationship together and how they are so opposites and they bounce off each other is what makes them good characters. Like the Joker sums it up and again Nolan gets it. Like you really are in a move like you really are truly incorruptible, like and stuff like that. He says, isn't he? Because he's like trying to corrupt him, and at the end, he says, like, um, you're an immovable object. Like the immovable yeah, object. Yeah, he he says, he says, what we have here is we have it, it, um, an unstoppable force that meets an immovable object, 
Yeah, uh, exactly. And know, that's and what he, they are. Well, and he, and he tells them at the very end too. He says, "I feel like we're destined to do this together, or to do this forever," which is a direct quote from the comics. I mean, that, and I'm pretty sure that's from Batman Hush, where they, where Joker says that to Batman. You know, I didn't um, know that. Well, there you go. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Like again, and that's what I love about this film. You just highlight what I love about this film because every time I speak to someone about it, every time I watch it, there's something out. There's just something else that just makes it even even better every time. Even seeing it in the cinema, just every 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 time I see it, or every time I speak to someone about it, I learn something more, which then just shows that that film has just so much depth to it. It's 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 unbelievable. But uh, yeah, so so obviously that's like a really good intro scene and, and sums up the Joker. But then obviously the Batman scene for me was such a good intro because it 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 it, it made me feel Batman Begins. Like I feel like it's a good introduction for him coming in and when you see him and he he appears and he like bends that bends that gun with that tool that he's got and then and then it plays the Batman theme from Batman Begins instantly as soon as he enters it just feel it straight away you're like okay cool yeah this is this is Chris this is Christian Bale's Batman yeah like you didn't like it it had a different look and feel to it like you said straight away it feels different it's very blue it doesn't have that sepia thing but as soon as you see that Batman in the Batman Begins bat suit and uh, Hans Zimmer's his theme, so it's not just the score, like the Batman's theme that's like really awesome in the Batman Begins film, hits you straight away. You're like, okay, cool, yeah, this is this is this is Christian Bale's Batman. We'll watch a Batman film. Yeah, yeah, no, and the 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 intro of Batman when he stops kind of the drug sale, you know, from Scarecrow and and some of the other uh, mobsters of Gotham. You know, and that Batman is also having to deal with people that have kind of taken up arms dressed as Batman. Uh, th- that is something I, I think that's such a great that's such a great addition to the story because because you think about what in real life, if this Batman character did exist, what would he inspire? And the conversation that he has with Alfred, they they. He said, I wasn't looking to inspire this. This is not what I wanted to inspire. And yet this is what people you know, are starting to do, you know, and, and, and this is something that would actually happen. Yes, this would absolutely happen. People would, would say, well, I want to do that. I want to be like Batman, you know, now they're out there just, you know, dressed. <laughs> he says, what's the difference between you and me? He's like, I don't wear hockey pads, you know, but yeah. he's also, you know, he, you know, these other guys are out there with shotguns, you know, trying to take down the mob and stuff like that. Um, I just, I and don't that's know. That's why I love the scarecrow when he's like, he sees that they got guns, and he's like, "That's not him." And yeah. then the Batmobile smashes through, and then the scarecrow's like, "He's like, that's more like it." Yeah. And what does he say? He's like, "No, he say that's more like it." He says, there, I, "I think he does say that's more like it, something like that." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah. just yeah. yeah." It's like brilliant. I just love it. Every little bit like that is so good. Right. Yeah. No. And it's a good. It's a good kind of. Uh, jumping point from Batman begins and it, it's almost it almost picks off like almost right when Batman begin ends because my wife asked me while we're watching it she's like wait wh- why why is scarecrow still in this movie i said don't you remember from the in- the, the end of Batman begins um he, he, scarecrow escaped but that last conversation that he has with uh with uh gordon on top of the rooftop he says, don't worry, we'll get him, you know, and he lists him. He's like, oh, Scarecrow's still out there. This guy's still out there. It's like, no, we'll get him. And so Batman begins with 
you know, these guys haven't been, been detained yet. And so here we are picking up right where Batman Begins left off. But, but let's talk about this. And this is one of the things I think most people find the most appealing about, about this movie is, is the story and, and the, um, the, yeah, kind of the, the yin and yang of Batman and Joker and that you have what Joker describes as himself as an unstoppable force, right? And that this idea, this idea of what Batman started, you know, it it wasn't it wasn't that uh, criminals didn't exist already, but by introducing Batman into this world, it inspired others on the opposite end to come out, right? And so it's like like attracts like even though they're on opposite ends which i think like the yin yang kind of comparison is 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 it helps understand what's going on with with the story of this movie is that and and alfred's lines man this is one of the things that i remember so much from last night alfred's lines are some of the best bit of dialogue in the entire movie i love alfred in this movie he is freaking yoda of the dark knight universe like he's so wise he's so wise and so so just um so clear in his perspective when often bruce is not you know yeah and and that uh, his explanation is he said you you brought this you're the one that that started this first and in in the criminal's desperation they turned to someone who they did not understand you know, so uh, I guess kind of tell me your thoughts on kind of the, the, the more foundational layers of the story of, you know, what Joker is doing and just inciting anarchy, just total chaos. And he said, I mean, I'm like a, I'm like a dog chasing trucks. I don't know what I would do if I if I caught one, you know, I mean, he's just out there just trying to disrupt everything. He has no plan. He's not scheming. He says, I'm not like Gordon. I'm not like the politicians. I don't have a plan. You know, so I guess t- tell me your thoughts on kind of the more foundational aspects of the story. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, exactly. I think what's great about the, like said, foundations and why the Joker is such a massive part within the film is because in Batman Begins, we learn a lot about why Batman e- exists uh, and his uh, his rules of like, like I say, like not killing people, how he doesn't. He doesn't kill uh, Ra's al Ghul and, and a lot of stuff like that. You really learn about like who he is and his morals and, and why he does what he does. And then the foundations of the Dark Knight is is questioning. It's, it's all about questioning is questioning that. And the Joker's a brilliant character to do that because he, he doesn't live by a set of rules. And that's what they talk right. about in the in the in the um in the inter- in the uh, interrogation and stuff like that. Like Batman has these rules and the Joker has no rules and therefore it, how can someone who's constrained who's constrained in these rules beat someone that 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 has nothing and will just do just do anything that he wants to to cause to cause anarchy and that they're the foundations and that's what that in every aspect of the Dark Knight you he, it, you see Batman question himself all the way to the point where he's going to give in and actually give himself up until Dent takes the fall like he was because he doesn't know any way to beat to beat the Joker and like and that's what's yeah that's what's that's what's so great that there are the foundations of the film and that's why Harvey Dent plays such a great um part in it because Harvey Dent is is like the opposite to Batman 
is that he he was also starts off as a hero. They're both heroes, and um, but on different sides of the spectrum. But they're both they're both heroes, and you see one managed to um, kind of work it out in Batman, and he manages to to overcome it. But then you see Harvey Dent, and he he shows that he's he doesn't have that in him, and that he he falls to it. Like Batman loses the love of his life, like Harvey does. Like obviously Harvey doesn't know that, but the audience knows that that they go through very similar situations. But it highlights how it highlights Batman's character, and it it highlights Dent's character. And by highlighting Dent's character, it it highlights Batman's character even more. And that's what's just so so great about it. That's why the Joker is such a pivotal part of that film. I was um, it's interesting. Cause I was talking to Sai because we were talking about movie scores and stuff. That's not, and one of my favourite scores on the album is um, it's Watch the World Burn, which is the music that's played at the end um, when there is no Joker. It's one of my favourite scenes. It's when um, Harvey kidnaps the uh, Gordon's family and they have that um, that dialogue together, the three of them, when Batman appears. And he's and and that whole scene, I said, is really funny because it's my favourite scene, but the Joker physically isn't in it. But he's he's there. He's caused all of that. Like, everything that he's done throughout the whole film causes that scene at the end. Right. Like, and Batman has to save it by taking the blame. Yeah. Like, and, just that, and that's what Batman was always about. But, like, the Joker won. Like, the Joker won, and that's what the Dark Knight Rises essentially says, is that that the, the Dark Knight isn't, a, isn't a, a heroic story at all. Like, you live long enough to see yourself become the villain, and essentially, Batman may not have been an actual villain, but he, he he does become the villain at the end of that film, and it's just that. So they are the foundations of that film, and it's just it's so deep. It goes so deep, and the Joker is is that is that seed, and it, it's so perfect. Okay, so let's we're gonna wrap up this conversation, but I've got a couple questions for you. So let's see if you can answer these. One, one of the things that I I did not realize, or at least recognize in previous watches, but I I noticed this before. Or in last night, in my rewatch last night, that when the Joker reveals to Batman and to Gordon that he has captured Rachel and Harvey, and that he has rigged both of them to bombs, but now they have to choose, who are they going to save? He gives them the address, and he says, this is where Harvey is, and this is where Rachel is. Gordon asks Batman, who are you going after? He says, I'm going after Rachel. But Batman doesn't end up at Rachel's place he ends up at harvey's place so did the joker lie to him or did the bat or did batman decide to actually go save harvey instead of rachel yeah that's an interesting thing isn't it because you would like to think that batman would have done the right thing for gotham which is which is save harvey save harvey yeah but no he doesn't he tells he tells gordon gordon's not a mind reader gordon was going to go to the opposite address it was the joker was the joker twisted it so like, that, you see it when Batman walks in. You see it if you look at his face and you watch that film. When Batman, when Batman walks in, he he he's you see a shock on his face that it that it is. But he has to act fast. But he he pauses for a second when he walks in. Like he didn't he doesn't charge straight in to go save Rachel because there would be no pause. He goes through that door and he actually stops for a half a second. Right. And for me, that's always been the fact of it's 
Oh, like that his brain processing. Joker, what's Joker messed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's that's what I took away from it because I that's what I did notice. I was like, this is this has to be how we know that Joker lied, is that Joker was going to set up Batman and make both Harvey and Batman lose the person that they love the most, right? Okay, that's really interesting. Okay, tell me your thoughts on Maggie Gyllenhaal taking over the role as Rachel Dawes. Um. I wasn't. I wasn't too bad. I think Maggie Gyllenhaal is a better actress. I think a lot of people would agree with that, um, and I think that she did a she did a good a good job. I, it the Rachel Dawes character for me is not a significant part of the quality of the film. I think it's a she's just a she's there to allow um, the story to be to be pushed forward and to be able to enhance certain characters, especially Batman. But who plays her for me was never was never really a big deal as long as as long as the quality was there, and as as because I think Maggie Gyllenhaal is a is a better actress. She uh, she for me she would improve the character, but there wasn't really much the character to kind of play with. So I wouldn't give um what's her face what's her name um what's the what's the actress in Katie the first Holmes one? What's her name? Katie Holmes Katie Holmes I wouldn't give her any bad rep by it to be honest. What do you think? What about you? So for continuity's sake, because I, I I love continuity, I just I hate recasting. I hate recasting when there's going to be a sequel or multiple movies. It just you know uh, I just I just don't like it. So for continuity's sake, I wish Katie Holmes had stayed. I do agree that Maggie Gyllenhaal is a more talented actress than Katie Holmes, but I think the Rachel character had less of a role. Um, or meaningful role in the Dark Knight than she did in Batman Begins. I think in many ways uh, Rachel challenged Bruce in Batman Begins to to view himself and the world differently. And so I think in that aspect, I think Rachel was more important to the story in Batman Begins. But um, I'm I just always curious. It, it bugged my wife and still bugs her to know when that they recasted her, but. Um, I've looked into it and essentially there's not much detail outside of that. She just, just said, no, thanks. So, um, conspiracy theory. She was married to Tom Cruise at the time. So, uh, well, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's lots of stuff. Yeah. About that. As he, that he wouldn't let her be in it or whatever. But, um, but before you end this, man, you have to, you have to mention Hans Zimmer's score is unbelievable in it, man. Oh yeah. yeah but wait, 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 wait. Cause I want to end on a good note. This is my last, uh, I've got two more questions. One, let's address the, uh, detective aspect of the dark Knight. All right. <laughs> um, because, uh, there, there are some that think that, uh, and yes, being a detective is one of, I think the more important parts of of the batman character so uh so so tell me man does the does the dark knight do a good job of showing batman as a detective yeah i think so i i would like to i I think so yeah i i think so i think there's lots of stuff in there that um batman is supposed to be the world's greatest detective but it's it's kind of like the world's greatest detective, but it's always kind of that vibe of Batman's always very prepared. I think that was always where it's kind of get lost is that no matter what opponent or anything a fight, Batman will give them a good run and usually probably beat them because he's super clever. He knows what he's doing. He's very prepared. And I think that's where it gets to kind of a bit lost. And I think in this film, he is like very much so like 
all the way down from if you want to glass it as traditional detective work, the getting the fingerprint off of the shattered bullet is, is is very detective. Like that can't be any more detective. You can't get any more detective than that. In regards to being like the planning ahead and stuff like that, is he he actually you see him do a better job than the police at the end of when he's got the sonar because the police are going to go and kill innocent people. SWAT are going in and they are about to kill innocent people. And he works all of that out and saves them all single-handedly. So not only is he, is he like quick to prepare and to adjust in that he's, he's actually outsmarted the police, which should have essentially been the detectives to be able to understand this. And my third point would be how he is in Shanghai. Um, is it Shanghai in China? In China Hong Kong. And how, Hong Kong. In Hong Kong. That's yeah. it. Sorry. Yeah. In Hong Kong, of course it is. Sorry. And how he his his whole escape plan, like how yeah. he plans how yeah. he plans out that whole that whole mission with with the explosives and the timing and the jumping in and the the escape route, like that's all Batman. So for me, like. I think there are traditional detective parts in there as well, but I do feel like the whole premise of Batman is very well prepared, and in any situation he can either adapt or be so prepared prepared that he can just see a mission out perfectly, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And the only aspects where he, where he does fall is where he encounters the Joker, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but. That's exactly what happens in the cartoons and the comics is the Joker is always the one that doesn't outsmart Batman, but it's because he's so of an anarchist and doesn't think and just lives off of chaos. Batman struggles with this because there's no theory behind what he does. And that's what struggles with Batman. So, so that's my, that's my view. What about you? Yeah, that's a good rebuttal. This is my rebuttal. Okay. So I, I have always viewed the Batman begins movie as a really good detective movie. I think there's more detective aspects to Bruce and Batman in that movie than the Dark Knight and even the Dark Knight Rises. But the Dark Knight is not it's not a detective story. It's not it's just not. The 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 entire the entire message and what what purpose the story is driving is the question of morality and what will Batman choose and how will he um go up against the Joker that is questioning questioning everything about his morality, you know, and this, uh, you know, what Joker says, this false ideal or sense of morality, um, that, that is the purpose of the story. It, it is to question what does it mean to be good and at what lengths will you go to stop evil, right? That, and so, so being a detective to me, this is just showing another part of Batman. We got that already in Batman Begins. Now we're really getting into what what is the soul of Batman? You know, what does it mean to be Batman? Yes, being a detective is part of it. It's to me that's the same criticism as people saying and the bur- and the burden, the burden of Batman. Yes, Not yes, absolutely. Means, the burden of being yes, Batman. because that that is that is what Bruce is struggling with the entire movie. At what cost? What what cost is him being Batman worth it? You know, and he is seeing the body count pile up, and and what does Alfred tell him to do? He tells, "I what would you ask me to do?" I would say, "You you need to endure. Batman needs to endure this," and so that that is the purpose of the story. And I, so to say that he's not there's not a good detective aspect to this to me is the same criticism that people say, "Well, um, Superman doesn't smile enough in Man of Steel." 
and Man of Steel is not about the happy-go-lucky Boy Scout Superman. This is his journey to get to that 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 point. So we're just telling a specific part of the Superman story. The Dark Knight is a specific part of the Batman story. And so the fact that, that, that there's maybe less aspect to a detective story, it doesn't bother me because that's not the story. It's just not. And so that that's how I've always seen it. And yes, I mean he's considered or called the world's greatest detective that I just, I don't think every movie should be a detective story. I just don't. And especially within a trilogy, you got that in Batman begins. This is a different story as is the dark Knight rises compared to the other two. So, okay. Last question, man. Favorite, favorite moment, favorite moment in the movie. What you got? So I've just told you my favorite scene is the end, which everyone knows. And I've just got, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, just put that to one side. I think it's a perfect scene. It it, it really highlights what Christopher and Batman's all about. But I think I really one. I remember one scene that really had an impact on me, and I remember thinking, "Wow!" And it's just kind of like in the cinema. I remember the, the feeling that I got is when the Joker sends that videotape, and he's like, I feel like that really captures the the villainous of the Joker, and then when he's just like. And he's like, when that guy, that that fake Batman's like, Batman's a symbol that we don't have to be scared of people like you. And he's just like, oh, Brian, you really do. You really do. And then he's just like, look at me, look at me. And he's like, look at me. And then it literally goes like dead quiet. And I remember in the cinema, like, because the cinema's obviously dead quiet. And it goes like dead quiet for like, like a second, maybe two seconds. But it feels like a minute because it's like his voice. He's not, he hasn't got the high pitched voice anymore. It's not funny. When he says that last look at me, it is like, okay, this guy's this guy is warped, man. This guy's a scary, is a, yeah. a scary guy underneath yeah. all this laughing. It's, it's funny, like this guy. It means means business, and like, and now I just remember I was like, it just sent like a feeling up me that silence of after he says it because it's just that's the only real time that you see the Joker not messing about in that film not joking around not saying little quips and little this and little that it was very much that look at me yeah it was like whoa yeah so yeah i think that videotape for me was a bit that really that really stands out for me the most when i saw that that sort of film first time what about you yeah so the, the there are two scenes that i i always think of when i think of this movie the interrogation scene i think for many people this is kind of it's an iconic scene it's one of my favorite scenes in any batman movie even before Batman comes in, it's when it's when Gordon comes in and it shows Joker. There's hardly any light in the interrogation room. And you can just see kind of the silhouette in the face of Joker without his body. It's so eerie and it's so chilling. I love how they set up just the look and design of that scene. I think it's perfect. The dialogue between him and Gordon, everything that the Joker says, is just, it, 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 it counters all the beliefs and all the the efforts that you know Batman and Gordon the police are doing to rid the city of crime and it, and it's it turns everyone on their heads i mean jo- joker is an enigma like he is this the opposite of everything that in even of the criminals the criminals can't understand him you know i mean because there is no making sense of this guy i love that yeah. scene so much and then the 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 boat scene when you know he's doing his social experiment uh, I'll let one boat live, but you have to kill the other boat, right? 
that I think is so powerful and that they ultimately choose not to, even when they take the vote and the vote is, is the majority in favor of blowing up the boat full of criminals and inmates, you know, from the prisons that were evacuated, they still choose not to. And it goes against everything that the Joker is trying to prove and that everybody has a tipping point. Everybody has a breaking point to where, to where, you know, enough, enough bad, enough evil can enter into your life that you will break, but it it proves him wrong. And, and Batman tells him, he tells him that no one's going to die tonight. These boats aren't going to blow up tonight. Like you're wrong. They've proved you wrong, you know? And I just, so I, good. it is, it's so good. It's so powerful. And it, 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 it instills, it instills hope in humanity. And I think if anything that a superhero movie can do is that it can, and this is why I think I love these movies so much is that it shows the dark side of humanity while also instilling hope as well. And that's kind of the dichotomy of the Batman character, you know, someone that experiences this incredibly, uh, um, um, life-changing trauma that can turn a person bad and yet he uses that trauma to to do good in the world right um so i don't it's a great movie man any final thoughts before we end it is well that um just for like the, the interrogation scene i think one person like you said how it it's great before even batman gets into it and i think um i just want like some score like um honorable mentions really is for me, the one thing I always that this is gonna, this is really ain't on out of how much I like this film, but but um, Gary Oldman's acting just gets overlooked in yeah. this film, and it's so good. And yep. and when he walks up to the Joker and he sits down, he does this thing, which I just think is like it's the detail that makes. I said it about Lion King and tweeted it. The detail is what makes something good from great. You know what I mean? Great and good. The difference between it. And he sits down, and what he does is he wipes. He like sits down. He I'm not sure you noticed, but he wipes the table. He does. I, I noticed that. Yeah. He like whether they're crumbs or dust like or something. Down, he sits yeah. down and like wipes it. And it's just a little bit like even though I think I'm like oh I could probably act. Like like sometimes I think oh I'd like to give acting and go and stuff like that. Like that is like next level detail drama. Yeah. Into just <laughs> yeah. like these little mannerisms of just like wiping a bit of dust off the table and like that's what Gary Oldman's so good at. And at the end, the very end when he's he's debating with Harvey, like it. That scene is so powerful because of, of of Gary Oldman. Like he is, he's so good in that in that scene. The way he he goes from being really emotional, height of emotional, to bringing himself back down again, to back up again, and then back down again. And like, and whilst whilst Harvey's just so kind of calm in it, like it, it's so good. So that honorable mention for him, and then honorable mention for for Aaron Eckhart. Aaron as, Eckhart, as yeah. he is. I don't think he he's done some pretty shoddy films after and before, and I don't think he's really classed as a as as a great actor, unfortunately. But Christopher Nolan has shown that he has it in him that if if he has a good director and a good script and he get it out because that that end scene is is so powerful when when Batman's when he when he says like Batman he's just like the Joker chose me. Do you know what I mean? And he's like really like like cut up about it, and he's like. He's like because you are the best of us and stuff right. like that. That whole scene is just so powerful, and Aaron Heckart is is the driving force in that scene. Yeah, like it wouldn't be that good because he ha- he had to be to do that scene perfectly, and it, it is it's it's so good. Honestly, I, I love it. So so yeah, they're my honorable mentions, and then as I've just mentioned, which we need to we need to mention is 
Zimmer's score for it is. It, it, I haven't got words. <laughs> I've not got words. The from the screeching sound to um, for the Joker's theme, which just which just adds that element, especially when he's doing the why so serious speech, and the the scre- the screeching just gets more and more high pitched and tense and oh, stuff dude, like that, that scene's is, so good. It's so good. It's so oh, it's so yeah. good, and like, yeah. but then just to go from to be able to do that to then the elegance of the of the Bruce Wayne sort of music. To the heroicness of when he's when he's Batman, he he's saving the day, and then and then the music of that very um, methodical, very um, villainous music for when when Harvey changes into and that end bit, and it's out. It sounds very much like me and Cyber when we talk about it. It's, it reminds me of the Emperor theme at the end. With oh, that that's interesting. Like, yeah, that's interesting. Very, if you listen to it, and it's like long very sinister notes when you listen to the song that um it's called watch the world burn yeah. go away and li- what go away and listen to that then listen to them for after and it's just these very long sinister notes that are just flowing it's like it's it's a masterpiece it's it's an album like there's film scores where you can listen to selected tracks because they're the highlight of the movie and they are what the score are built around where the dark knight score has so many different films different great tracks in it that it, it's a it's a brilliant album from 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 beginning from beginning to end it like it really is right right to the end where he goes there and he's just like a watchful protector a silent guardian a dark knight and as soon as he says a dark knight you see those titles appear on the screen zimmer's score just hits with that i don't even know what it is but <laughs> what makes the batman theme so prominent and you're just like i've just watched one of the best films ever made well, if listeners, uh, listeners, if you can't tell yet, this is Ryan's all-time favorite movie. <laughs> Ryan, hopefully we, we did your favorite movie justice, man. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, we could probably go on for like another hour talking about this movie, but um, uh, I I think that's good, man. I think that's good. It really is such a great movie, and and in my opinion, in my opinion, the between I don't know. I mean, Man of Steel, Man of Steel just means so much to me personally, but dude, the Dark Knight trilogy. In, in like when you talk about greatest trilogies ever made it's it's up there with the best of the best i mean you know, perhaps top three i mean it, it's it's that good so we'll have to talk about the dark knight rises coming up in a you know an episode coming up soon just finish this off we did batman begins yeah, we just did dark Knight, so we'll do <laughs> the dark knight rises so all right ryan um since this is the end go ahead and let the listeners know how they can get a hold of you or reach out to you online as always, guys, uh, Ryan from lifeoffilms.com. If you want to hear me talk about the Dark Knight a bit more, then get in touch. I'll always chew your ear off. Thanks for listening. Listeners, thanks for downloading today's episode. Um, my outro has usually been, we'll see you at the movies, but I stopped doing that a few months ago and haven't. But since movie theaters are open, I think I'll bring that back. So listeners, thanks again. We'll see you guys next time. Or <laughs> we'll see you guys at the movies. <laughs> <laughs> The Backseat Director's theme song is Let's Go to the Movies by Ozo Motley. You can find the album Ozo Motley Presents Ozo Kids and all of their other music on iTunes. The Backseat Director's podcast is available to download on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and most other podcast platforms. Join the conversation online and follow Backseat Directors on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We find our seats, uh-uh, the perfect road 